Hello, this is your host, Sunita Bagri. I am the founder of the Every Teacher Matters Project. Welcome to the Every Teacher Matters Network podcast. Each podcast has a core focus around the well-being of our teachers, school leaders and educational staff. The Teach Well Alliance works proudly in partnership with the Every Teacher Matters Network to raise awareness of well-being and mental health for our teachers and school staff. We're so pleased that you're able to join us on today's podcast. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Every Teacher Matters Network podcast. Today, Steve Waters and I are speaking to Benji Rickman, an RE teacher from Manchester. Today, we're going to be exploring the impact of bereavement upon teaching responsibilities. Our aim is to be able to help those that have suffered from a bereavement themselves. I myself lost my mum to coronavirus on the 3rd of January this year and have found it very difficult for a number of reasons. Grieving in isolation, not being able to see, hug my dad or spend time with my family, not have a proper funeral for my mum. We were not able to say goodbye in the way that we would have hoped. The casket was not opened. The last time my dad saw her was when the ambulance took her and the last words she spoke on the phone to my dad were, I'm so scared. My mum suffered with mental health difficulties such as anxiety and panic attacks. And this was something that I grew up witnessing and inevitably this has impacted upon me, my life's experiences and shaped up my personality. In fact, it has been a catalyst for the work that I do now in promoting teacher wellbeing. But how does one manage grief such as this in the role of a teacher? How can a school support a bereaved member of staff? This is an area that both Steve and I are personally invested in, both with our own personal experiences, plus training in bereavement and counselling. We offer support to school leaders in order to support staff wellbeing in this specific area. Today, Steve and I are going to take the opportunity to speak to Benji about the death of his 15-year-old son, who died around 16 months ago, prior to the pandemic. Before we do this, Benji, welcome to the Every Teacher Matters Network podcast today. Thank you so much for speaking to us and allowing us with this opportunity. Please tell us about yourself. Hi, good morning. So I moved to Manchester about 15 years ago from London. I've been teaching full-time since 2002 as an RE teacher and must have been about 12, 13 years ago, took on the role of head of RE at King David High School in Manchester. You never, oops, someone's voice. I never, you know, you never imagine that life is going to take the path it takes. I'm a father of, I say six children, and I, I still think of myself as a father of six children, um, even though one is, I guess, not here in the physical sense, um, but um, about four years ago, in fact, my, my father passed away. We're coming up to, to the anniversary of that. So I've, I've, I've been in a teaching capacity and, su- and suffered a bereavement. But uh, what we went through as a family 16 months ago or so is uh, definitely sh- changed the way I am as a teacher. But it's also inspired me because of the way my son dealt with the short, well, the, the eight weeks or so that he, that he took ill until he passed away. 
to focus even more perhaps on the mental health, on the mental health. I was always a champion of mental health. And, and I, I've said this in different contexts before, I think teachers stumble into teaching or choose a profession for, for one or two reasons, possibly one, because they had an inspiring teacher as a child and they, they looked up to that adult and want to be that type of personality. And that's not me. Or the other approach is that school was so awful that they, they actually want, they, they, they felt then they could do a better job as the teenager in the classroom um, and then knew they could do a better job as the adults. And that, that really is me. And I think the mental health side of, of what we do in caring for the children and letting it know that we are there for them is very much, was very much, was very much part of what I do. But I think even more so now um, has become a, a massive priority for me in my teaching and just generally in the day-to-day -day interactions of what I do. Yeah, absolutely. I can really clearly see that. Benji, tell the listeners about your YouTube channel. When we corresponded, you'd mentioned that since the death of your son, you channel much of your work to support the well-being and mental health. So tell us about that. So I can't remember where the dates overlapped, but we, we had to go through some changes in our curriculum at school. And we have a daily, we had a daily assembly led by members, with myself and members of my RE team every day. But then one day in the week, we needed to, to move to a, to a video assembly. We had to change. We couldn't do a whole school assembly. And we brought in, we had to improve our PSHE delivery. And the only time on the timetable was during this, this assembly slot. And I didn't want to give up the opportunity to connect with the students and give them a message. And so I said, you know, I'm going to produce two minute videos, which will fit into the time frame that we had. It wouldn't, be, it wouldn't take away from the PSHE. It would allow there to be a faith assembly and the form tutors to be able to deliver what they had to do. And so I launched Rabbi Rickman TV. That's the name I gave my channel on YouTube. A little tongue in cheek, but I couldn't think what else to call it at the time. And it began with literally two minute assemblies. And I've, since then I've learned how to do special effects and I've learned how to bring in clips from films. I'm not sure how, how kosher or legal that might be, but uh, it's only a short, short snippets. Um, and the assemblies grew and grew. And during the first lockdown, I decided two minutes wasn't enough. And I, my, my first videos from the beginning of March last year, I think I met one of the first. And I remember it fondly. I really tackled the sense of it's not easy being at home. And I, I, I spoke to the students in a language that I hope resonated with them. And I, I you know, perhaps somewhat unteacher-like for many teachers. And I, I do straddle that, that line between sometimes just talk to the kids I call them kids because I do feel like that, that they're, they're my kids as well, my hundreds of students that I teach, you know, in a language that, that speaks to them, even if it might sound controversial. So I say some of you, some of you get your whole, your whole mojo, your whole life from, from being the queen bee, from being that cool guy in the classroom. And without that, you're going to struggle. And I told it to them how it was going to be. You know, not, not, not trying to pretend or hide from them the difficulties. But then I said, some of you are going to love being at home because you hate being in school. You hate being around other people and it's really difficult for you and you'll, you'll love the anonymity of being behind a screen and I have to worry about someone looking at me. Do I look right? Do I have the right hairstyle that day? Or, and I, I, I began to present more and more in that style to talk to the children and just to, and sometimes I had parents who watched the assemblies with their, with their children and said, yeah, you know, yes, you, you are saying it how it is. And I, I very much believe that the assemblies that I've given and I will say to the kids, you know, not everyone likes school. And I will talk about the negatives of being in school. Because I think dealing with, 
with those and being open and honest with, with our students is, is so vital that they hear a voice that isn't pretending that life is simple. That's yeah. someone who can champion their cause. And I, I took a book that I'm sure you know, the three of us would have seen growing up. It's going to age us slightly. But Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens from the Kobe family. And I, I found that book with, with a stamp in from my, my phone number when I grew up in London. Um, and it had, I had before it went to 0181, it was, it was or 0208, it was one of the old variants of when London phone numbers began to change. So it really took me back to my teenage years. And I began going through that, the, the ideas in that book. And I thought, you know what, they were relevant in the 80s and 90s. They are absolutely relevant to the kids growing up today. So that, that's how that channel began to, to develop. And I've tried to, even though I'm, I'm, a, I'm a rabbi, a, a Jewish educator, I've, tried, I've made the videos. Occasionally I'll bring in Jewish wisdom. I felt there's, there's something that I want to say, but I've, I've made them universal. So they're, they're really available for, for students from any background or no, or no faith background, really. But it's putting the kid in the center, the center of, of that video and talking to them and trying to give them, give them what they need to hear. Because sometimes you can get lost. I mean, the, the, the conversation this week is going to be about exams for year 11, year 13. Yeah. And it's going, that's going to put a lot of stress on a lot on many of the kids, how they're going to cope with that that sudden pressure and schools don't know what they're doing yet because it's all fresh and everyone's got their own opinion. And so today's message was just about, I, I said, I, I met an angel. So who, who did I meet? I took a loved one to get uh, uh, the COVID virus and the volunteer that was there shared with me, so you're going to end up in an assembly, I'm warning you. So she, don't worry. She shared with me how the first time she volunteered, she only went, only went for six hours. I said, only, how can you say only and volunteer? because she felt so guilty that she couldn't volunteer for longer, but now, but now she volunteers for, for 12 hour shifts. So mm -hmm. how, we, how we use our time, what we do in our life. And you, know, you can be, an, angels don't need wings. They can just be people who can be angelic, be divine, be, be noble in, in how that, and giving the kids a sense of, yes, exams are important, but your sense that you're, you're being a great human being is something that you're in control of yourself. And that's not dependent on teacher assessment or learning in a classroom. And, but that's the, the type of angle that, that, I, that I've uh, enjoyed sharing. That sounds amazing. It sounds incredibly powerful. And I can only imagine what positive feedback you must be receiving from, from those videos, from yeah, the channel. I, I know from, from the kids that they are listening. And I know that because I work in a beautiful school, which although it's a, it's a Manchester school, it's a community school. Now, when, when we were in school, I'm sure you, know, you saw your teacher, you outside of school, you ran, you ran across the road. You just didn't want to be seeing them. You, you didn't want to have a connection. Our kids are so incredible. They'll run up to me in the street to say hello. They'll wow. drag their, their mums or dads over. This is my teacher, Rabbi Rickman, and I'll wave. So I work in a beautiful, beautiful community environment. And so lots of the kids have subscribed to my channel. <laughs> and great. so if, if, I, if I'm putting the video out, and I often, I often can't record them until it's quiet in my house. That's so sometimes it's, it's 10.30 at night and I'm busy putting together a school assembly. Then I put it on YouTube and the kids are watching them before school. Yeah. So I, yeah. And this morning it was half past seven in the garden. Thankfully, I've got a filter. So I made, I made it look quite nice on the filter. <laughs> yeah. a, bit, a bit brighter than it was, a bit warmer than it was outside. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, when that happens, like, that gives you a sense of that. You know, I, I'm not saying that 100% of the kids are watching. They are teenagers after all. They, they, they are not angels. Um, but I, I'm trying... To, to give them messages and if they do listen then I do I think they they will benefit but I think what happened to using my grief use, using what what went on and um, you know, I I used to call my son my bodyguard he was 
He was five foot ten, five foot eleven. I, I, I stopped at fourteen, so I'm five foot six and a half, maybe five foot seven on on a good day. Um, so I used to call my son, who who was a twin, which which adds to the grief. My my, my the, his sister that remained. That's a whole. That's another area for you to explore one day. I don't want to get into that now because uh, what it means for a twin to lose a sibling is something that even as a parent you can't fully comprehend. Yeah. Um, but I, so I used to call him my bodyguard because when he from seven years old, whenever you know, he came everywhere with me. So he was always by my side. And it gave me a lot of pleasure during the Jewish people. Have, we have a week of mourning after the death. We bury within 24 hours. So it's all done with me. He passed away at three in the morning and he was buried at half past two in the afternoon. So within the first 20, that seemed to be the respectful thing to do. Then we have a week of mourning. So this was pre-COVID. So people came to the home and it was, it was very, very busy as people came from the community to sit with us and talk to us. Um, but, but the example that he, that he gave during his time has definitely inspired me. And, and I, did, I, did, I have done a couple of videos actually. Um, when he was in hospital, I sat in some of the hospital. I needed to, I, I went off grid for a little bit. I didn't go back to school. I, I was off school from September till the whole first term, actually. I took off for like eight weeks in the hospital. We were there by his side every day. Yeah. And my school were amazing. Colleagues, you know, blessed. You know, I, I might head a department, but it's definitely first amongst equals uh, and friends and, and, and building a team that, that are there for each other, which is a massive strength of what we do. Um, and then after, I, I didn't go back till the January. I didn't, it's, it's almost bitter. You know, grief is terrible, but I think for teachers who have gone through it, and when it's a child, you're dealing with, you're dealing with going back to work with the same with with, pe with children that you just lost, and uh, I, I, and you're 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 around. I'm around teenage boys and watching them grow up, and so there's that pain. And, and I know if there's an amazing um, group on Facebook of no one ever should have to go on it with parents who have lost children. Yes. And, and I did post initially after when I found the group, I said, you know, who else is a teacher here? And, and I, I did find echoes from other teachers who said, yeah, yeah it is hard to, to be around those who, who, are the, who would have been the age of, of, the, of the child you lost. Yeah. But I, I, I try, I've tried to have you know, used, used the experience that I went through to, to help other people. I think you have to, you know. To, to fall into a, to a black space where it's just grief um, doesn't, doesn't serve me any good. And I wouldn't, and when I, when I lost my dad, I, I, I was able to go and comfort others who were mourning with greater understanding than you can ever be as a cleric, as a religious figure who might have learned something on a course one time. When you've gone through it, you know exactly. And, you, and the books are good, but the books are only as good as, as they can be in text you have to when you live it you you really have a different insight into what it's all about yes. um and this has given me an insight and it's not one that anyone would ever want on themselves but i hope to take it and, and use the inspiration you know my, my son was so incredible during his time in hospital he, he it came out of nowhere he was my bodyguard he was my strong teenager yeah. and, and how he got sick and the hospital were amazing this Put it this way, during that week, during that first week where we sit at home and friends and relatives would come to the home to comfort you or comfort you, we ended up comforting them. It was a bit, you know, because no one knows what to say when you walk into a house where you're, you're, you're grieving for a child. For a parent, it's different. You, know, you expect it at some point. For a child, it sort of goes against, although it's not really, this group on Facebook showed me there are thousands who, who, are, who are grieving children for various things. It, 
And, you know, when I talk about grief, I want it to be, I want people to hear it. It doesn't matter to me or my family how that child passed away. It, it, was, a, it was an illness or it was a mental health and it went in a bad place. That doesn't matter because at the end of the day, you're still a parent grieving a child and that child was sick. And I, I never want anyone to say, well, you know, they take their own life through because that's different. It's not different. It's all the same mental, physical. That's how we, we, and we say that a lot to people that no one should think that you've got a superiority, that you're better than yes. your, your grief is more. But the medical staff from Manchester's Children's Hospital, which is a place I don't ever want to go back into again, because it's just, we were there for eight weeks. I mean, those corridors became my home. Yes. You know, I, I can close my eyes and I can be right back there in the intensive care unit, which is part of the, of the struggle of grief, that the flashbacks are real. Um, and I discovered that, you know, you see on a film, a flashback, you think that's just a movie, but I've come to discover that that's a very, very painful and very real thing. But the staff came to our home to comfort us the, the, the occupational therapists who work with him, the, the doctors, the, the, rheumat the, the senior rheumatolo rheumatology staff, they, they were broken. And, you know, that helps in some way, you know, to, to think that your kid wasn't just a, a statistic. Oh, there's another one. To, that the medical staff came and it happened. They came on an evening when my colleagues from work came. And I'm not just talking about my, my rabbi friends, I'm talking about my, my non-Jewish colleagues. So we were at school, we worked we work together, there's no... You know, it's a Jewish faith school, but it doesn't matter. And I've got friends in every department and that's, that helps. And they came in and I, I was like, who do I speak to first? Do I speak to the science teachers who have come in to greet me? And, and they were all the, then everyone just sort of made space. And we had these medical staff crying at our feet, um, missing, missing a young man that they got to know and got to care about because he was very brave in, 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 in the things that he tried to, to, to get himself strong and the medications he took. Yeah. Um, and that helps, you know, I think when it, when it comes to grief, you've got to look at the big picture. You know, there are moments where we cry and that life is not, you know, I, I'm talking now because, and I've worked on myself to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, I, and I am determined to, to, to be that light to other people. But there are plenty of moments where the grief is uh, that wave. That's what they call it. And, and you're nodding because you know what that is now, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and it is that it hits you and it knocks you off. And you, it's cathartic, I think, emotions and expressing that. And occasionally I'll drop things into students. Um, but over, you know, over time, there'll be students who, who won't know me as the teacher that lost a child because that whole generation will move on. Now, I'm, I'm teaching this afternoon in religious studies about war and peace and just war theory. So I found the video before and it quotes 9-11. And I, we've been through a whole school cohort now who weren't alive when 9-11 happened. So, you know, I've done assemblies for years and they go, yeah, we, we, we remember. No. So that's part of also recognizing your story that there'll be a whole generation that will come in and will know me just as me without having known me as the person who was off school and connecting those dots. And that's also important for teachers. Yes, what, what, I think, what, what personality do you want to to be, to give to the school. And kids are very sensitive, you know. Uh, if you're looking sad, they'll pick up on your sadness. And, and if they like you and you've built up a rope, they'll go, what's wrong, sir? Oh, yes, absolutely. They're very quick at picking that up, aren't they? So then I think, yeah, so I think, you know, do I want them to, you know, I, I want them to, I want to strengthen them. That's what I want to build them for the future. Mm. And yes, it's important to build them by learning to be empathetic and they can see when I'm feeling sad. Um, and there are topics in my teaching syllabus that I don't necessarily feel strong enough to want to teach. So mm. 
life and death topics because it's mm. going to touch upon things. Yes. I, might, I might ask a colleague to say, you know, can I just swap with you and I'll yes. swap classes. You just teach that for me and I'll, but yes. that, now that's a process. But I think it's re really important to give the kid. I can give the kids that. I can give them that inner, that strength that if they're grieving, yes. that yes. it's okay to cry. It's okay to need time out. It's okay. I, I'm the teacher that will allow, I, let, well, I will let my student put their head down on the desk if they need to have time out. Yes. I won't badger them to pick their head up and say, get on with the lesson. You've got to do this. No, no, no. If a kid comes in and they're putting their head down and they know that I care and I've built up a rapport and I care for them and they know that I've got their back, they're not doing it to be cheeky. They're doing it because they need it. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'll say, like, just, just do it. Yes. And if, if you want to catch up, I'll be there for you on a lunch break. <laughs> That's really endearing. Um, Benji, what, before I pass on to Steve, final question from, from me is, um, you know, has there been an aspect of your son's death that has been most difficult to cope with you know what's been the hardest bit i think i think life cycle events um within the family are very difficult or festivals when there's a there's a gap at the table um and the ones that so you know the, the weekly jewish sabbath that that's become a bit easier because that's every week so the gap's been there for a long time yeah. But the yearly festive periods coming up, Passover is coming up for the community in, in a month's time. And that's really a lot, all about children. It's about sh you know, sh sharing a faith story and passing that on to ch generation to generation. Last year was, was torturous. I think I got, I got through the first seven seconds of the rituals and I, I broke down. But then I composed myself and we, and we did it because you, you do it for other children. You know, you... you, you we're blessed with with five living children that they, they deserve parents they deserve a dad and a mum and a children and a life and you can't make one child more important than anybody else so they, they so you continue for others and for yourself and for what you do um i still i do struggle being around kids sometimes and sometimes i get frustrated there's a chink in it and it's sometimes i think come on mate. don't don't let yourself down do you know what my son did he you know he had dyslexia and he 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 didn't give up in school and he battled and i i said i spoke to his friend and said you know i said when you when you did essays for english and it took you 30 minutes do you know it took him four hours four hours to do that said he pushed because and they, they, they actually recognized that he owned, he owned his dyslexia. He wasn't shy. And I, and I want kids to own whatever struggle they have. I don't think it's beyond a teenager to do that. Yeah, and if you own it, you can then deal with it. And his friends recognize that about him. And I sometimes say to people, stop it. Just, and I get cross sometimes in school where, mm. where other teachers try to downplay. Said, don't, don't hide it. Let, let just, talk about it make it real make it a real thing and that you know and let, let, let a class know that some people here might have to be dismissed to go to the toilet during the lesson because they've got some they've got needs that mean they have to go and say it to the to the children that if i'm going to say no to you because that's the school policy when i say yes to them it's not favoritism it's the way we have to work as a society and learn about people that have different needs to everybody else and i think teenagers can can learn to understand that without thinking 
student X is being favored unnecessarily, but I don't think we're there yet. I haven't seen it in my school. I'm sure many other schools aren't there yet, but being open about things. It's, there's a culture of hiding things. I think mums and dads have to learn to, you know, there are kids that I, I, I've also got, I've also got a kid who's, who's um, special needs with autism and ADHD. So I, I know he's, he's 13 years old and he's got his own area. And I, and I sometimes say like, parents who don't want their kids to be labeled are not helping their kids. They're, they're actually damaging their kids. And I, I can argue that. And I guess like, just get your kid the help they need because you're actually gonna love them more by saying like, the reason why you behave that and see the world in that way is because that's what your brain's doing. Now, that's not something you chose or we did when our mum was pregnant. It's just the way you've come out. So own it, figure it out. And then, and then everyone else around them can make sense of them. Um, but I think so that's, that, that's, that is a challenge when I see things like that. I want them to understand that it can be different. You're on mute. Wise words, Benji. Absolutely. Really wise words. Thank you for sharing. Steve, over to you. Yes, so the questions I had, um, you've really covered Benji in, in, you know, you're very moving and inspiring at the same time account. Um, there are just a couple, every school community is different, everyone's grief is different. Um, but if you had to give advice to another school community about how they cope with a bereavement, particularly of a child in that community. What, what from your own experience, would you, would you say? Brilliant. So bitterly, I, I had to do that before my son passed away. We lost two children in our high school over right. the last few years. And the first young man that passed away, we had a boy and a girl, but the first one that, that passed away, somehow it fell on my shoulders to lead a whole school assembly. Um, and I, I don't even know what, where, I don't know, maybe because they see me as you know, the head of RE, I'm the rabbi, so I must have all the answers. Um, but it, it fell on my shoulders. And I remember the shock and the, the horror and the, fr the anger amongst his friends all those stages of grief just coming in in one massive go and i remember the silence there was utter silence like seven eight hundred kids walked into an assembly there was total shock within the school it was the first one and i stood there and i i really don't know where the words came from because i had it wasn't something i had done i think i remember at the time the school was very I think, I think every school should have a designated, trained member of staff that has the brief for grief counselling and a plan. I think the first time we didn't really know as a school, and I wasn't, I, the irony was I was there to, to lead a school in some sort of, hold the school together, but then I wasn't, I wasn't then brought in for the other discussions, which was a bit odd, but I think there needs to be somebody that has that folder and the knowledge that says, this is what we can and can't do. This is, what, this is what the advice recommends rather than trying to put things together. Teenagers are also an interesting breed, if I can use that word. You know, you, you can't govern how they're going to react. And the way adults can show grief and teenagers is very different. Teenagers are, are very prone to 
a hyper or an inflated emotional state at the best of times, which might be interpreted by teachers as being over-exaggerated or attention-seeking. And I think that's terrible. And, and I, I am guilty in having said comments the second time around that I regret having said now. I was instructed to say things, but on reflection, I think telling kids to stop overreacting was, was a terrible thing to have been told to say um, and really didn't take into effect how teenagers behave. Now, there's, there's an amazing book, and I can't remember the, the author now, but uh, on the teenage brain. Um, I've, and there's the author of, it's, it's a red cover. I can't remember the name of the book. Um, and I've, I've read a lot of that book, and it's fascinating to understand the, the neuroscience on understanding teenage and how they think, and the fact that their brains are not fully developed yet, and they're going through. And I think understanding teenagers is, is fundamental. I do not believe, and I, I don't think I'm being arrogant. I think I'm being genuine. I do not believe many school leaders have understood the teenage brain as a neurological thing to understand the extremes and the very logical and then the very irrational behavior of teenagers. And all that, it's not anything behavioral, that's just a function of their underdeveloped brains as per the evidence in this book. And I think understanding the emotions of teenagers and how they express them is, is really important. So there has to be a staff member who is trained and they are the go-to person because you know, God forbid a teenager, a child can die of illness or could get knocked over going to school or mental health issues. And it, it can happen. It's not something that, that, is, that, that doesn't happen. And it, it, so I think that's number one. And then there might be subject specific areas where the children, so I know from that, we had a huge backlash the first time for RE lessons. You know, you, they look at you as you're the God people. We prayed. And it doesn't matter what faith community you belong to. You know, if you believe in the power of prayer and, and God didn't say yes, then there was, a, there was a backlash. And the colleague that had, that the friends of this young man who passed away suffered terribly because they just, they just disengaged. So you might, you might have, you know, it, could be, it could be a PE teacher. The kid loves football. You know, we don't want to play sport because he was in our team and we can't bother. So I think recognizing where the, 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 the triggers might be for, you know, and recognize that there could be triggers that might not be ones that you might imagine. So look, look at the broadest possible picture in understanding, and then it takes time. It takes time, and there's a lot of anger and frustration, and those triggers cannot be predicted. So expect the unpredictable, and whilst the school might be very keen in wanting to get everything back to normal as soon as possible, you also have to recognize that it might just take a very long time and yes, you, you need the school to function. That's important because there'll be kids who didn't know the person who passed away and who, who won't connect with the grief and they don't want to be in that place. They just want to get back to, you know, do I take burgers or chips for lunch? You know, they, they want to get back to the mundane and not, not be in that place. So I think the main thing is training somebody, having learning to understand teenagers and how they, they, they deal with those emotional flashpoints and, and patience and and. And teenagers could get very cynical about life. And I, I begged my son's friends, and we actually channeled their energy into some positive projects um, for the, for the, within our community, because I didn't want them giving up. You know, if someone that was tall and strong and loved by all his friends can get sick out of nowhere. And then you know, I, I, was, I was back at work part-time 12 hours before my son passed away. And I was telling people that the medication was beginning to, to work. 
And then I came home, my wife said, he's not good, come in. And then hours later, that's it. So I didn't want them losing, giving up the will to live because not that they would, I didn't think they would harm themselves, but just quit, quitting learning, quitting school. And that's also a part of it. They, you can get very bitter about the purpose of life and living in that situation and think, well, what's the point? So to trigger, to, to create projects that can celebrate the life or take something from the, the, the person that, that passed away. And so we're going to really focus on this quality that they had and make this something that we're going to, we're going to magnify it, something pure and sweet and say, this is, we're going to take on this quality and make this how we're going to live our lives and make it, make it give, give them a sense of purpose of living because uh, they might, they might need that. And the last question is kind of related to your answer to the previous question. And that is, again, as you so well pointed out, there are patterns in grief, but there are also individual experiences of grief. And my experience of grief is not yours and yours is not mine. Although we, we have things in common that we recognize so what would you what advice or what guidance would you give to a parent who has been in a similar position to you and to your family i think the first thing is to be kind kind to yourself and have absolutely no expectations whatsoever i think that my shut my my upbringing, my childhood with a parent who suffered with ME and chronic fatigue and illnesses since I was a child gave me a resilience, taught me a resilience and a certain determination. My dad didn't give up. He still, you know, he was a solicitor. And I remember one point as a kid, we had a, a, a phone line put in that came from the switchboard from his, from his office and his clients didn't know that he was in bed. And he was surrounded by, he was a solicitor, surrounded by files. And he got on with working. Um, and he would, he was always very smart and put on a suit and tie. Even though he was lying in bed, he wore a white shirt. And <laughs> he was a man of a certain age and a certain era. You know, he passed away four years ago, age 70. So he grew up at a different time in history where dressing properly was important. Um, you know, as a kid, we went to the theater. We had to wear a suit. You know, he's going jeans. That's the age I grew up with, you know different world to, to children today but so I learned a resilience and, and a strength of character from what I so I wouldn't I wouldn't suggest to any parent that you know you've got to be like me and keep going if you need space to cry then you just do it um, I think there are no expectations if, if, if an hour at a time is too extreme then take half an hour at a time in the early days um, and just and be very patient and be very forgiving. People say a lot of stupid things, you know, a lot of stupid things. And I actually want to put a guidebook out. Um, some, just for, it'll be a, a community focus with, with Jewish wisdom because they're, 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 they're ones that echo with all communities. People say, oh, you must be getting better now. Well, how would you cope? You know, you're crying that your kid's gone to university and how much you miss them. Mine's not coming back ever. Now you rethink that sentence and talk to me again. Now, or your kid's got married and gone away from home and you have, 
Yeah. So people say all manner of stupid things to you and you've got to, you've got to be very forgiving. Well, I think you do anyway, because people don't really know. They don't know what to say. Sometimes they're just trying to have an icebreaker and say something um, for, for, just for communication sense. Um, for, for that. And so I think be kind to yourself is really important and just manage, manage yourself as best you can. If you're not managing, then try and recognize that and try and then look for, for some, someone who can be there for you, whether it's professional help or a loved one. Um, but don't think you're going just to, you know, you don't have to get off back on your feet. It's worked for me going back to school, but I did take that end of term time. I didn't need to go back for winter exams. I thought that was a waste of time. But I did have a little cry in the car park when I drove in and back in January. Took a deep breath, wiped away the tears. And then I was greeted by lots of <laughs> arm stroking and potential hugs from colleagues. This was just before COVID, so back in the olden days. No, BCE, before the COVID era, as we might borrow that phrase now. Um, I said that, that, that could work, but I just think it's a very personal, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a one foot size fits all, but care for yourself, I think that's probably it. And if I may, I'm going to ask one more question. Um, and that is, do you think, and I'm, I'm using the term our culture, in a broad, very broad sense. But do you think in our culture, we expect people to get over whatever that means, the death of someone far too quickly and everything, you know, goes back to normal. Um, uh, and we, we kind of almost Sometimes if someone is suffering for a long time with, with grief, there's almost an attitude, well, they should be over it by now because, you know, that's what we expect from society. Do you think that is the, the case? I think British society, absolutely. I think perhaps American society, they wear their heart on their sleeve much more. Yeah. They can, they can mm. blabber for years. Um, but I, and I'm going to use a teaching analogy. I think I'm, I'm struggling with a lot of what I think is the nonsense um, going on in the school system that we have to somehow maybe we just need an extra year in school for all year groups maybe that's the answer you know so we don't go to university at, after year 30 maybe we you know we just have to say life has been interrupted and so we're just going to just say everything will just be moved just delayed by a year because and I'm sure after world war ii people didn't just think they had to graduate school at the regular time I'm sure things were different when you recognize the world has gone through and things have been interrupted but I think we do seem to have a terrible impatience and a need to get back to whatever normal was. And I don't think that's healthy. I think you need to embrace what you went through, learn to recognize what, how you have changed and what you've gone through. And it doesn't have to be negative. I think we're scared of crying. We're scared of saying, I'm feeling weak and vulnerable. It, it's okay. And I'm using that pain, which I... No, I, I live, I say, I live with a filter. I wake up in the morning, everything I experience now is filtered through the loss of my child or waking up with a brick, a, a bag of bricks on my chest. And I live every moment of every day with that pain here since he passed away. I don't remember a time when I didn't have that lump there, but I don't think I had it before he passed away. So that's a new, and I'm living with that, but I'm being a new me with that. And I'm arguably achieving things that are, are worthwhile and noble and great and hopefully will help others, et cetera. And I think people are scared of embracing them. They want to, you can't run away. You've got to own it. Like I said before, own your needs, own your, own your situation 
and society needs to give us that space. We're scared when someone is weak. We're scared of being fragile. We're scared of admitting that we just need a little bit more time. Um, you know, I, I wish sometimes the politicians would just say, listen, it's dangerous out there. Can you just slow down people? And we don't need to rush back and it'll be okay. And if we need six months of school, so universities will change their start dates and we'll just change how things have run. But I don't think we're good at that in this country. I think we like to run back to that place which is comfy and cozy, what we always did, um, which is very odd because we wouldn't have done a Zoom meeting 15 months ago because no one knew, no one knew it existed. No one knew any of this stuff. You know, when, when Skype first came on the scene, that was so novel and so different. And so we, we have embraced change, but I don't think we've embraced change on an emotional level in how we've, we've, we work within society and we, we, we connect with people in society. Um, so I think there's, we have a lot to a lot to keep learning and thinking about. But I think if we get there, it'll stand us in good stead. But I think we need, we need more, more people telling that message. So the three of us can start it. <laughs> and on that note, I'll hand you back to Sunita. Thank you. Thank you so much, Benji. It's just been, um, personally for me, it's been cathartic listening to you today and definitely taking a lot of hope and inspiration from your very heartfelt, you know, experience. So thank you so much for candidly speaking to us about that because uh, we do pride ourselves on having candid conversations and this has definitely been a memorable one for, for us. So thank you very much on behalf of the Every Teacher Matters Network podcast. Um, it, just remind the listeners again before we go as to how they can follow you on social media. So if you want to check out my videos, it's teachers, so Rabbi Rickman TV. So I'm losing my mind here already. <laughs> Rabbi Rickman TV is my channel on YouTube. And I would suggest that you know, teachers, you can use the videos that they're there, they're, they're there for children. And it's, there's, a, there's a lot of wisdom that I'm sharing. I've got, I've got a lot of books. Amazon One Click is my favorite. I buy a lot of books teaching books, thinking books. And if I can digest the information and share it, then I can help other people, then it's, uh, check it out. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. And for the listeners, if you um, would like any support around well-being, then please contact the everyteachermattersproject.com website for further details. Thank you and goodbye. I do hope you enjoyed listening to today's Every Teacher Matters conversation. It is our mission to be the voice of our amazing school staff. You can find out more by visiting everyteachermattersproject.com or contacting me directly at contact at Thanks for listening.